Well, the title of this morning's message is The Sovereignty of God Among the Nations. And we'll be looking again in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 26. And there, uh, primarily I want us to look at verse 26. I'm trying to take uh, this text a little differently in the sense that typically we'll go verse by verse uh, exegetically. Um, but I'm going to try to use these verses here in our context as a little bit of a jumping point to take more of um, uh, an approach of a topical approach to the sovereignty of God among the nations, primarily using this text, again, as a bit of a jump off and primarily working through the language of verse 26. But we'll uh, look at the um, verses 24 through 26 just to get the context there. So if you will, join me again beginning in verse 24. And again, this is Paul before the Areopagus there, before the high council of Athens. And he's given a defense of the Creator God. In verse 24, he continues, speaking of the one true God, the Creator God, the God that is very apparent to these men, although they suppress Him in the darkness of their sin. Verse 24, The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their, inhabit- uh, and the boundaries of their habitation, And so when we think about this language, I wanted to take a moment maybe to try to step back. And I haven't really spoken much in terms of our current climate in this culture, our current context, uh, the reality of the ongoing pandemic, the reality of uh, the, the political upheaval that we find ourselves. I haven't spoke to it directly much. I've alluded to it some I don't intend to speak to it directly today, but I thought I would take this text and apply that thought of the sovereignty of God among the nations as a sweet, encouraging reminder to you, given particularly the current climate that we find ourselves in. And in fact, we're living in unprecedented times, are we not? We're living in the midst of a cultural revolution. That is not a reach. That's not hyperbole. That's a fact. And we need to be sober-minded regarding that reality. Our nation is on the verge of economic meltdown. We pray that that will not be the case. Cultural Marxism is a real and present threat. We have a new administration operating in the midst of a very polarized political climate. The biblical standards of gender binaries are being challenged. The biblical standards of marriage are being challenged. Our religious freedom is under direct attack by the Equality Act. Direct attack. And killing babies in the womb is lauded and honored as honoring to women. And sexual promiscuity has become the default, indispensable idol of our ever-increasing pagan culture. 
and LGBTQ advocates have become the evangelists of our day. The conditions around the world are at best volatile. There is worldwide instability. We are in, indeed, perilous times. And here's what I want you to know about that up front. God is sovereign over the times in which we are living. He is absolutely sovereign. So what's our responsibility in such times? What are we to do with ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ in these times? Well, first of all, we're to think biblically. We're to think biblically and then we're to act accordingly. In other words, act upon our biblical uh, uh, understanding. Act upon our right thinking, which is informed by Scripture. God is sovereign over the nations, including our nations. Or, excuse me, including our nation. Amen? Amen? He's sovereign. So we are to maintain our confidence in the unfailing, absolute, unrivaled sovereignty of God over the nations. A quote from James White kind of summed this up well. Quote, God created the entire fabric of time and all the events, all woven together according to His eternal purpose. End quote. That's a nice little nutshell there of the reality of God's sovereignty among the nations. So now when we think about this text, I do want to just give a, a big picture up front. Again, I'm going to try to pull mostly from verse 26 and topically flush out the sovereignty of God among the nations in a way that I hope is fruitful and encouraging to you. But let's just give a little, uh, uh, let's back up and just take these verses and let me just at least give the big picture just so I can feel better about myself. I just can't work without doing this exegetically a little bit. So let's just think about the big picture here. Verse 24, look there. The one true creator God is the God who made the world and all things in it since He is Lord of heaven and earth and does not dwell in the temples made with hands. So to sum that up, God is ruler over all creation. He is not limited in any way by space in the creation that He has created. Verse 25, Nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. To sum that up, God is not dependent upon us for anything. In fact, God does not need us. We desperately need Him. Verse 26. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries in their habitation. The nutshell there. God created all the nations from one man, Adam. All of us. One man. Adam. God is the God of history. It is indeed His story. God controls the rise and fall of all nations. And that brings us again to, what, to, to verse 26. And I want to try to draw out this truth from verse 26. Note there that God decrees the establishment of all nations. And when I say that God decrees it, I simply mean that God simply declares that He ordains it to be true from eternity past. And it's part of His 
eternal decree that we do not always see worked, uh, or that we don't always see in advance, but is set and fixed in the eternal mind of God. So he has decreed the establishment of all nations. The God of providence and history has established every nation according to his divine decree. Now, I use that term providence, so let me try to define that a little bit as we think about that. Providence of God, the providence of God is the working out of God's sovereign decree in time as he precisely interacts with his creation. So God is intimately involved with his creation and he's working out his sovereign decree, his eternal plan for all of creation. This creation is really uh, um, the theater of his self-glorification, the display of his own glory. And he's working out a plan, a decree, according to his sovereign pleasure with his creation as he intimately interacts with his creation. That's his providence, his intimate interaction. And it has a purpose. It all has a purpose to work out his eternal decree. The ultimate displays of his self-glorification in creation and redemption. So God has the authority to govern over all the works of His hands according to His plan for His own good pleasure and His own purpose. God freely, freely exercises His sovereign will over all circumstances, over all events, over all peoples, over all angelic beings, over all spiritual realms, over all material realms, over it all, over all of creation. God freely works out His own decree according to His own good pleasure. Romans 11, 34 and 36 sum it up this way. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So God is sovereign over the rise and the fall of all nations, over all mighty nations, all the mighty nations that really sit at the forefront of the world stage. God is sovereign over them. In other words, they didn't come to that might in and of their own strength, in and of their own intuition, in and of their own intelligence, in and of their their own work ethic. God raises them up for an established time in His creation and then He brings them down. And then he replaces them with exactly who he intends to place them with. All set before time was ever spun according to God's sovereign will. So he will rise them up, he will bring them down, and he will rise up another in their place. He brings them to prominence on the world stage. And he does so because he reigns in heaven. His sovereign hand has birthed all nations. There is not a rogue nation that exists on the face of this planet at any place in time that was not birthed from the sovereign hand of God. He does so according to His eternal decree for His purpose. God has birthed our nation and He has brought the affairs of our nation into being all the way up to this current time. 
from the establishment of Jamestown in 1607 to the Declaration of Independence in 1776 to the current events right now, all the way to the end of the, his appointed time for this nation and her existence. They're all determined prior in the sovereign mind of God and fall out in space and time according to his own good pleasure. So the establishment of every, nature, of, of every nation is of God, by God, and for God. Now, knowing this helps us follow the command of God. God has called us, and indeed in a command as Christian people here in our context, to obey the authorities that He's placed over us within reason. And sometimes He places ungodly rulers to rule over us, does He not? Is that not so? Now, we are called to obey them. We are called to submit to them. And I want you to, to follow with me here. We're to call, we're, again, within reason. Within reason according to biblical standards. But we're called to submit. Why? Why are we called to submit to all authorities that God has placed over us? God placed them, didn't He? That's exactly right. Now that helps us. Isn't that a help to you? That's a help to me this morning. Because sometimes it's very hard to submit, to submit to ungodly rulers. But we're called to do so. Again, we have parameters. We're given biblical standards. But by and large, we're called, first and, primary, first and foremost, to submit. And we can do this because we know God has sovereignly ordained all government and at all times. And He will rise up ungodly rulers to rule over us, sometimes as acts of mercy as time spills out. Other times he will rise up ungodly rulers as acts of judgment upon a people. Nonetheless, God rises them up and God brings them down. God appoints them. The point here that I want you to hold on to, I pray in great encouragement, is that there are no impersonal, impersonal random unfolding of events in history. Isn't that good? My, isn't that good in the times we're living in? So what do we do? How do we apply this reality to us that God has decreed all nations? Well, how do we respond? Well, certainly we pray. We pray for peace to preach the gospel, right? We're called to preach the gospel in all contexts, and all circumstances, but we certainly pray for peace to do so. That's right and proper. We pray for freedom to rightly assemble for corporate worship. We're commanded to, corporate, to, to, to uh, assemble for corporate rest, worship in all contexts, but we certainly pray for the right and privilege to do so in our context. But remember this, our mission does not change. Whatever uh, changes within the circumstances, uh, concerning circumstances, our mission never changes. Preach the gospel in season and out of season. Give glory to God in all circumstances, knowing this, that He works all things for the spiritual good of those who love Him, of those who are called according to His glory, according to His purpose. So we are to pray for peace. We're to pray for a peaceful context, a peaceful circumstance, but our mission never changes. And whatever circumstances come our way, 
we give glory to God for them and we thank Him for them because they come our way after they have passed through His sovereign hand to us, ultimately for our good, ultimately for our spiritual good. Note next there in verse 26 that God decrees the time of nations. The time nations are established. And we see that in this language. Not only has He made all of us from one man um, to live on all the face of the earth, He's determined there our appointed times. He's appointed our appointed times that we are to do so. So God determines the time and history for all nations. As we live here as part of the United States of America, God has determined this nation, the time for this nation, and He's determined this particular time for us in the context of this nation. This is determined by God. He determines the time and history for every nation to appear on the world stage. When? How long a nation appears? And how long they remain? Or or when a nation appears and how long they remain? All determined by God. So God has carved out the future of every nation literally before the journey begins. It's carved out in the will of God. Every nation has a fixed, resolute future. It's set. We appear, and there's a context within which we appear. There's a duration of time, and then there's an establishment who will follow. All is set and fixed according to a sovereign God. Now consider how God has set the stage for the Messiah. It's just one example. Let's think about that. It's a, it's a wonderful example. There was a time set for the Messiah to enter human history. For God the Son, the second person of the triune Godhead, to condescend and enter human history through the virgin birth. The world stage was set by the sovereign hand of God for this monumental event in all of history. Israel, culturally speaking, linguistically speaking, and really, geographically speaking, was prepared. Israel was poised and positioned to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. She is a land bridge to three continents. There was a common language at that time. They're set across the entire stage. And the sovereign hand of God had placed culturally the events, the Roman road, the capacity to travel, commerce, and now the geographical location where the Messiah would come. And at that point, on the globe, this natural land bridge to three continents, all set by the hand of God. Asia, Africa, and Europe, all linked and connected there through Israel. All set and established by the sovereign hand of God before Christ comes onto the scene. What about us? Think about us. Think about America. God has placed us on this little part in this little part of the world. But think about how that has taken place as God has placed us here. He's done so after He had gloriously saturated all of Europe with the gospel before our time. That was prepping us, our existence, our being, our purpose here on this globe. 
We came after the Reformation. We came after the age of the Puritans. After centuries of robust Christian development. The development of robust Christian doctrine was founded and set and placed, set in place for those folks now to be a means of traveling and establishing our country. So God birthed our country with the capacity to spread the gospel on a global stage. That has happened to the sovereign hand of God. That's not random. That's the mercies of God and intent of God for this nation, for the Christians that God calls to Himself through this nation. That has been our privilege. We've been placed here at a time that God has set and established for us where we have the capacity to carry the gospel on a global stage. And there was a lot of God working out His plan and His story and history to bring that about to where now we were placed on this, uh, we were placed here at this point in history. So for application, ponder this. God has appointed this time and context for you to be a vessel of gospel light. You're here in this nation at this time. And it's not random. It's purposeful. Christ has purchased you with His own blood. He's purchased you and He's purchased you while He birthed you here in this nation, in this context. So what are we to do? Well, we're to study the times that we're living in that we might best engage the surrounding culture with the gospel. Study the times. Come in with your eyes wide open. Embrace the circumstances that we're in. Embrace them. Knowing that they come to us through God's sovereign hand. And remember this. Again, your mission does not change. You don't even have to give that a thought. You just march on. Your mission is not altered one iota. It doesn't change. It remains the same. Through the circumstances may change. The mission remains the same. But here's the encouragement. Be on guard. Be on guard. Matthew 7 verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Romans 16, uh, 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eyes on those who cause dissension and, and uh, hindrances contrary to the teaching which you've learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves not of our Lord Jesus, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 2 Timothy 4.5 But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. God has placed you here at this particular time. It was set in the sovereign mind of God in eternity past. He's placed you here. For His purposes, according to His own good pleasure, you have a ministry. Fulfill it. That is God's will for you. Fulfill it in the context that He's given you. Every circumstance that changes is a circumstance that He has set for you. And if it's a circumstance that brings you suffering, it's for your glory. It's for your good and His glory. 
Fulfill your ministry. This is the time God has appointed for you to do so. This is the time. It comes to you with the sovereign hand of God. Next, I want you to see that God decrees the geographical boundaries of nations. Look there at the language. Having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So God determines the appointed boundaries of every nation. God has determined when we would exist. And He's determined the parameters of where we would exist. So He's placed a people in the condition in which they will live. That's God's doing. He causes some nations to be more prosperous than others, right? Some nations have more human resources. Some nations have uh, various types of weather that can hinder or that can help. Some nations have ocean access. Some nations are landlocked. Some nations have effective economies. Some nations have military power. Some have industrial might. Some do not. Some have a high quality of life. Some do not. All of this is under the sovereign hand of God in the course of history. So the flow of human history is entirely under divine order. All of it. All of it. The God of the Bible is the God of history. He sovereignly rules and reigns over every aspect of history according to His eternal purpose. Every aspect. Now any contrary concept of this is a concept of God that has come from the vain imagination of fallen man. God is intimately directing every aspect of human history. Listen to the language of Job there in verse 38, uh, of verse, uh, chapter 38, verses 4 through 7. Now again, uh, this is uh, speaking of God here. Where were you? When I lay the foundations of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. Who set the measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now think about Joseph there in Genesis chapter 50. Verses 19 and 20, when there he's been uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. And he's been sold into slavery to Egypt, the greatest nation in the world at that time, with, uh, uh, with uh, Pharaoh as this, um, this, this dominating king of this nation, which is full of riches. And God has placed Joseph there. And through the sovereign hand of God, Joseph has risen to authority and power in this great nation that has power over the surrounding nations. And in context here, Joseph's dad has died. He's buried his dad. And his brothers are now afraid to come and interact with him because now he sits in power as really Pharaoh's right-hand man. But Joseph welcomes welcomes them in. And here's the language. Joseph says to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. Now there it is. That's Joseph saying, God did this. All the workings of your hand, you meant for evil, 
But the primary player in this was God, and He intended it for good. I'm in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Consider Isaiah chapter 10, verses 5 and 7, and then I want you to just read the, read the back end of, of this uh, uh, working of God's sovereignty and, and, and humanity there in verse 12. So the context here is Assyria. So God now has chosen Assyria out as His instrument to judge Israel. Israel is wayward. They've broken their covenant of works before God and now they have brought judgment upon themselves. And that in, in itself is the working out of God's sovereign hand in history. Now Israel in space and time is going to, if you will, get what they deserve. And God's chosen Assyria as His instrument. And listen to what He declares here. Woe to Assyria, beginning in verse 5, uh, this is Isaiah 10. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. I send it against a godless nation and commission it against the people of my fury to capture booty, to seize plunder, and to trample them down like mud in the streets. That's God's declaration of what He has instructed Assyria to do as his instrument of wrath against Israel. Now, listen to what God says about Assyria for what she will do. Verse 12. So it will be that when the Lord has completed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness. Now he will judge Assyria for their actions. Or what about really the most glorious reality of God's sovereignty at work in human affairs and the apex of his self-glorification in the course of history we find mentioned or alluded to there in Acts chapter 4 verses 27 and 28. And there Peter is preaching. He's standing and he's preaching. And he says, For truly... In this city, and now we're, we're speaking about Jerusalem here, in this city, there were gathered together against you, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Now, for this one event to culminate, there were that were a multiplicity of free will acts of human creatures all being brought about to this one moment in time. Herod had to be there. Pontius Pilate had to be there. The Gentiles had to be there. The Sanhedrin had to be there. The people of Israel influenced and uh, uh, sort of uh, run roughshod for an extended period of time by the Sanhedrin had to be there all in unison, all in one accord for this one event to happen. A multiplicity of free will decisions taking place. And here, God's Word tells us it was really all predestined to occur according to God's purpose. God is the primary actor. So the shape of the future is fixed. 
God accomplishes all he desires. God will accomplish all he desires. God will do with America all that he desires. We say, brother, well, what's going to happen to us? I don't know. Our nation seems to be unraveling. We've, we've lost sight of our foundations. Our foundations were very good. Yes, yes, amen, yes. Are we to pray for a restoration? Of course. Are we to be active and engaged in the political climate of our culture? Of course. Do we have a voice? Are we, are we to vote? Yes, of course, of course. But God will do what He intends with America. And that's where we can rest assured. God will use America and He will accomplish His desires with America. Now, we've been placed here with great light. Again, we, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. This country has been formed and used mightily by God to go forth and carry the gospel. And oh my goodness, what we have to be thankful for in that regard. And I say to you, and, and I, I intend to say this a few more times this morning uh, by way of encouragement, what we can think about and ponder and pray about is, oh God, how much more? How much more might you do with the gospel in this nation? I mean, we can look back at what's already been done, and that should give us great encouragement. From the lesser to the greater, we can always think when God's hand on this culture, how much more might you do here? But bottom line, your mission never changes. The circumstances of this culture never dictate to you your mission. It never changes. You give glory for your context and you march forward with the gospel. Period. Knowing that God is sovereign over the affairs of this nation with which He placed you and He placed you here exactly at the time He intended to for His sovereign purposes for you. He saved you. He called you out in this culture. And He placed you to be His vessel of light here at this time. That's your mission. That's what lights your fire. That's what gives you encouragement. That's what causes you to dig your heels in and not be afraid. Amen? Oh, the time. My, the time. Lastly, I want you to see the decree of governmental leaders. God has decreed the governmental leaders of nations. Now, I backed up here to verse 5, and I did, admittedly, I've taken this from a, a, a general precept here. So it's implied. And listen to the language. God is not served there in verse 25 by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all people life, breath, and all things. Now, I took all things to try to make a, a point about a specific reality of God appointing uh, uh, governmental leaders. Now, are you saying is that a little liberty with the text? Well, no, all things is all things. God is sovereign, so certainly He's appointed, uh, um, He's sovereign over the appointment of governmental leaders. But I am taking a liberty in one sense that uh, I'm trying to be specific about just one issue of all things that He's appointed. So I'm, coming, I'm working from, from verse uh, 25. And again, admittedly, it doesn't speak specifically about governmental leaders in the text, but it's implied. I want to take that opportunity to use it to speak specifically about governmental leaders. So God establishes good and evil leaders to preside over the nations according to His eternal purpose. Both good and bad are brought into place and established by God. 
So let me set the record straight right up front. God appointed President Trump and God appointed President Biden. God has appointed every president in this country. And if she stands, whoever's appointed president will be appointed by the sovereign hand of God until she's removed. And God has appointed President Trump and President Biden both to fulfill His purpose in human history. Amen? Both. God works through secondary means. And we'll talk about that a little bit, but here's a few examples of secondary means. Political, collect, uh, po- political elections, royal monarchs, democratic republics, dictatorial tyrants, etc., etc. All of these are examples of secondary means through which God works. In other words, a secondary means is a free act of man. We are free. We make decisions all the time, do we not? We make decisions all the time. And those decisions are free acts that we have. We choose to make them. Now, we are free. We have that, right, we have that capacity. We are not autonomous, okay? Do we have a free will? Yes, forevermore we have a free will. All of secondary causes, all of secondary actions are a result of our free will. We have free will. We do not have autonomous free will. Here's how we know that. All of our free will acts are held in accountability to God's prescriptive will. God's prescriptive will is contained in His law. We're not autonomous. Every act that we make, through every free act of our decision, every free act that we act upon, is accountable to God's law that reigns over us. That's called God's prescriptive will. His prescriptive will is fully reflected in His law and it displays His nature and it reflects His goodness. And for us, it serves as a guide. To all true followers of Christ, it serves as a guide for us. So, there are secondary causes, and that is, that is a result of all our decisions. All of them fall under accountability to God's prescriptive will. But God is the primary actor. Both are taking place. God works through secondary means. So He works through an election process. That's a secondary means. And we're acting on free decisions that we make to move this electoral process along, good or bad. And overriding all of that is the sovereign will of God who is the primary mover. God is the primary cause in all events of human history. Thus, God appoints men and women to office. They're appointed by God. Do we vote? Yes. Should you vote? Yes. Whoever gets elected is appointed by God. You with me? So God raises them up and He brings them down. Again, some are raised up to express God's mercy. And some are raised up to express God's judgment on a people. God is the lone rule of the universe. God alone. God answers to no one other than Himself. God is the primary mover. So we must understand this. It is God who places the nations into the hands of any given man or woman. That's where you can rest. Now you may 
differ with one another on uh, your, your, your uh, belief on who should be president and who should not, or who you vote for or who you don't vote for. That may differ between you. But what you must know as Christians, now, uh, there, are, there are biblical standards that should guide us in our voting and all our decision-making. Please don't misunderstand me there. Be wise. But vote. Be engaged. And we can differ. There's things that we can differ on. There's backburner issues. But know this, what we must settle in on is that God establishes whoever will ultimately be in office. We have a residing president right now, and that president is established in that office by the sovereign hand of God. That's where we rest. Now, we need to engage that uh, how we feel best according to our biblical standards that God has placed upon us. But understand the primary mover here. God establishes men and women in office everywhere all over the planet. It is God who does so. He alone is ruler of the universe. And He does so according to His sovereign decree. He's doing so not randomly, but to work out, detail specifically His sovereign will for humanity. Daniel 2, verse 37. And here Daniel is telling King Nebuchadnezzar, about his rule. He's kind of setting Nebuchadnezzar straight there about the reality of his kingship. He says, You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the strength and the glory. You see that? You're king of kings because God established you as king of kings. Isaiah 44, verse 28. Now, the book of Isaiah is just fascinating. There is, there is a section from, from chapter 40 to chapter 48 where, where God just takes false gods and He brings them to the high court of heaven and He weighs them in the balance. He sets them in the judgment seat all the way through. And right there in the middle of that context of chapter 40 to 48, we find chapter 44. And God takes Cyrus, King Cyrus, out and uses him as an example of his sovereignty among the nations. And here this is, God's the speaker here. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. Now that's, that's pretty powerful language, isn't it? He calls Cyrus his shepherd. He is my shepherd. And he will perform all my desires. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built. And of the temple, your foundation will be laid. Now, interesting thing here in context of Isaiah chapter 44, you got about uh, um, another century or so before we see Cyrus on the scene. There's a hundred years before Cyrus ever shows up. And God calls him by name. Isn't that what he did in speaking to the false gods? Doesn't he ask them? Tell me what happened. And anybody can, you know, a good historian can look back and tell you what happened. But what does he say to the false god? Tell me what happened. Tell me why. Uh oh. You get some fumbling historians when they have to go figure out why, don't you? I says, I'll tell you what happened and I'll tell you why. That's the difference. A hundred years before the man shows up on the scene, God calls him out by name. Good night. We don't even know who's going to win the next election, do we? 
He's sovereign. So the one who ordains the future also reveals the future. That's where we must ground in our pillars. He ordained it and He reveals it. He cannot be thwarted. So God calls Cyrus out and He puts him on the world stage exactly when He intends to. And know this, Cyrus was an unconverted, godless, pagan ruler called out by God to carry out God's eternal purposes. Now God used this pagan king to restore exiled Israel, right? He restores the temple, He restores the city, and He builds walls all at the hand of a pagan king that He called out by name a hundred years prior. That's the sovereign God. And all this work was piece work, a little piece of the puzzle for the establishment of Jerusalem, for the preparation of the promised Messiah who was to come in space and time to redeem His people. That Messiah is Jesus Christ. So a little application for us in regards to the establishment of leaders, good and evil, and the fallout of that and the consequences of human history. Know this up front. God can and does glorify Himself through unconverted leaders. He can work through wicked men to bring about His own good pleasure. So here's what we need to know, because we're so busy wringing our hands about creating some kind of context or circumstance so that the gospel might have room to go forth. And we need to do our due diligence, but let me just say this. Don't worry about the building. Can I just say that? I'm not saying don't pray about it. I'm not saying don't do our due diligence. We are to do so. Pray. Trust God. But we don't have to build a circumstance of the right type of building or setting or context or culture for the gospel to go forward. We don't have to create the circumstance for gospel awakening to go forward within a culture, okay? We don't have to create that circumstance. What is our job? Fulfill your ministry. Go forth and carry the gospel of Jesus Christ in the circumstance that He's given you. That's your role. That's your responsibility. Isaiah 45, 7. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating, here we go, calamity. I am the Lord who does all this. Yes, God is the one who creates even calamity all according to His purpose and plan. How about that? You don't have to nurture and cultivate a certain context, man. Just go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Carry it. Carry the gospel. Proclaim it where you are. You have a space and time that God has placed you here. It is a whisper. God has granted you eternal life. And He's commanded you to go forth with the gospel. Is it not, was it not Martin Luther that said uh, Christianity is a religion of assertions? Assert the gospel in your context. And know this, that your God is the God who forms light, creates darkness, causes well-being, and causes calamity. And oh, by the way, so much for the prosperity gospel, right? 
That's a tough sell. Let me see Joe Osteen exegete Isaiah 45. I want to see that. You, you reconcile your best life now with calamity. Look, you carry the gospel in all context and trust your God. Who are we to argue with the sovereignty of God? Humble yourself and know that God is God. That's still big for us. That's just not a check mark off there. You know, I got the right, I got the right uh, you know, uh, um, concept here. I've got the sound theology. It's not a check mark. That's life. Will the, slay, will the, will the clay say to the potter, you really should reconsider. I believe there's a better way. Look, God does not owe us an explanation for His infinitely wise decisions. If He brings calamity, it's calamity to His glory. He doesn't owe us explanations. Anyway, we we could not fully understand God's unsearchable wisdom anyway, could we? we? We can't understand the mind of God fully. Some are vessels of wrath. Some are vessels of grace. This is true. This is what Scripture gives us. That goes for individuals and that goes for people groups. My goodness, there's places on this earth where people have not heard the name of Jesus Christ. And there's two theological realities here for us. One, God is sovereign. And He has placed people on parts of this earth where the gospel has not been proclaimed. And there are people that will die there without hearing the name of Jesus Christ. And they will die there and they'll be rightly judged by their, by their holy God. And we spoke about that on uh, the other Lord's Day. They know within their hearts and they suppress the truth. And that is enough to condemn them. But it also holds this weight of theological truth over us that we are to be urgent about carrying the gospel to the nations. There are those who have not heard the name of Christ. God is sovereign over that, but we are a means through which God uses to carry the gospel. It is urgent. This kind of reality is urgent. It should bear on our hearts to go forth and carry the gospel to the glory of Jesus Christ. But God does not know us, or God does not owe us explanations for his wisdom. So how do we respond? Our response to God's infinite genius requires trust. It requires faith. It requires humility. It requires self-denial. That's all part of our response of worship. We talked about worship. Well, there's wonderful definitions out there. I'll give you mine. It's not the best, but uh, it'll stick with you. All that we are, all that we have, lived out to the nth degree to the glory of God till He calls us home. How do you like that? There's worship. That's what we're called to. We're responsible for our worship. And it calls for self-denial. And we can't, we can't lamely lay that on our context and say, well, no, you placed us sovereignly in the midst of a lazy, uh, ever-increasing pagan culture with all the comforts of this world. That won't fly. That won't fly. Because He's placed you here to be a vessel of gospel light. Go forth and fulfill your ministry in the context that He's given you. And if He's given you uh, a cushy, soft, um, fatty-filled context, get with it. 
Get with it and carry the gospel. This is not our home. This is not our home. It's God's sovereign prerogative to place some nations where the, to place some nations where the gospel is proclaimed far and wide and vigorously. You belong to one of those. That's been your experience. God gives gospel light and God leaves in darkness. But here's the truth. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. God is sovereign over the nations. Be overwhelmed by that. Be overwhelmed and wonder at God's mercy. Wonder at His mercy here. This is your experience. You have experienced much light. Wonder at His mercy on this nation. Wonder and pray, Oh God, how much more? How much more might you pour out here? What you have done in this place, how much more you might pour out here? God is sovereign over the remnant of this nation. He's sovereign over all nations and He's uniquely sovereign over this remnant here. Just as He's uniquely sovereign over every remnant that He has gathered in every nation. You're His people. And He's commissioned you. And He'll grant you strength and enabling grace to go forth and glorify Him with your life. Daniel 7.14 Again, speaking of the one true God, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. God is God and there is no other. So here's the question. Do you have a saving relationship with this God? With this sovereign God that rules and reigns over His creation? Do you have a personal relationship through Jesus Christ with this God? I want to end by reading a Psalm 2. Let's do the language of the psalmist here. And this is David. And let's do the language of Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying... Let us tear their fetter apart. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, and I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence, and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He not become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. 
How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Is that your king today? Do you take refuge this day in the one true God? If that is not the case, then you are sitting under His righteous wrath. And He will surely one day judge. Today is the day of repentance. Repent and believe on Christ. Turn to Christ. Submit yourself to Him and you will find a perfect Savior. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank You this morning for the beauty of Your Word. We thank You for these few short verses that are so profound. We thank You for the reality that You clearly indicate to us through Your Word that You were sovereign. You were sovereign over all the affairs of human history. You have created uh, to display Your glory. This is Your theater. All of creation is Your theater. And You have created for a specific purpose. You have created to bring about redemption of a people. A love gift from father to son. You have granted redemption through Your Son, Jesus Christ, for all sinners who will repent and believe on His atoning work accomplished on the cross, that sinners might be justified through His substitutionary atoning sacrifice on their behalf, that their sinners might be declared right before a holy God. There where the Son imputes His righteousness in the account of sinners and bears their sin debt on the cross, belonging to all who repent and believe on Him. There is the apex of your self-glorification. You're glorifying yourself among the nations that you redeem a people out through the atoning work of your Son, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of the unique uh, God-man, Jesus Christ the only Savior. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.